Know Your Food with Warty, episode 133. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 133. See you there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Know Your Food with Warty. I know that you take time out of your busy life to tune in, so I want you to know how much I appreciate you. Of course, maybe you're multitasking, which is something I do when I listen to podcasts. I'm knitting, driving, doing dishes, chopping vegetables, filling my yogurt jars, feeding the sourdough starter, just piddling around the kitchen. That's what I'm usually doing when I listen to podcasts. So if you're doing that, then God bless the fruit of your hands. And thank you also for tuning in. I just I just felt like I needed to not go another week without letting you know how much I appreciate you. Because I hear from you, emails, comments, and it blesses me to know that you're listening um, and taking things away that that bless your family in your life. And then the things you share with me in return really bless me and my family. So thanks for that. Well, today we're going to focus on traditional cooking, time-saving tips. And in fact, I have um, four for you today, but there are more. So stay tuned for future episodes because this is uh, episode number one, focusing on traditional food or traditional cooking time-saving tips. And because this episode is about tips, I'm going to skip the tip of the week because I'm going to give you four tips today. But first, I want to give you just an overall philosophy because I think it's important that we think about um, the importance of eating traditional foods and traditional food preparation methods in our homes. And I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Traditional foods are old-fashioned foods, and there's really three parts to this. First, the ingredients are whole foods, and they're easily recognizable. So you know what an apple is. You know what an orange is. You know what a carrot is. Um, Second, many traditional foods like butter and whole milk tend to be shunned by modern society because they're demonized, demonized by modern nutritional theory. However, Refined, nutrition-devoid foods and highly processed rancid vegetable oils, among other things, are really to blame for modern diseases, not the traditional foods like butter and whole milk that people, you know, put down. So, and the final element to this is that the foods that are prepared for best nutrition, you know, we talk about sauerkraut and natural pickles, sourdough bread, you have greater vitamins, enzymes, probiotics in those pickled foods or in sourdough bread, how the flour is soured to make nutritious and digestible bread. This is the final component to traditional cooking or traditional foods. And these are the foods that people ate before factory farms and food industrialization. These people were more healthy. So the skills of preparing this foods this way has been lost in our modern society. And as you know, at Traditional Cooking School and Know Your Food with Warty podcast, we are all about bringing those back. So that's what we're working with here. We're working with traditional cooking where the ingredients are whole, where um, they're also um, 
they're often foods that are shunned by modern society, but they're old-fashioned, really healthy foods. And finally, we use really nutritious methods to make them the best for us, sourdough, pickling, etc. So traditional cooking has to do with all of this. So we on the same page, everyone? Um, I know that we all can apply this goal differently to our lives. Everyone is different with different needs, different strengths, a different family. So, you know, the tips that I'm going to talk about today and in future episodes, they're not one size fits all. I want you just to think, you know, is this going to help my life? If it is, great. Um, Is it sort of going to help your life, but you could tweak it a little bit? Great. Is it just not apply to you at all? Great, too. Um, But I'm thrilled to share the tips with you. So a little bit more housekeeping. Um, Because I'm going to talk about things, and you might start feeling overwhelmed. But I want you to keep in mind that with traditional cooking, we're not juggling everything at once, okay? So seasons come and go. Foods are in season. Sometimes they're not in season. You may be on a special diet for a time. You may be in the height of summer and you're just really loving fresh foods and you put that sourdough starter away. So just keep in mind that just because I'm talking about tips that apply to all traditional cooking, there's no expectation here that you're doing all traditional cooking all at once. Give yourself the, um, the freedom to be seasonal and simple. Use what works, reevaluate, revisit, um, constantly be moving forward. But, you know, we're talking about quality of life and health here, and that's not, that's not just how much can you get done in the kitchen. It's, um, it's bigger than that. Okay, and also keep in mind what your strengths are. Keep in mind that if you are the cook in your family, the cooking's a great blessing, it's a great responsibility. Sometimes it's fun, like when we're trying something new, but sometimes the thrill wears off and we're not so excited about it. So maybe these tips will help you to find renewed vision or purpose and um, you know to keep going when you're actually ready to throw in the towel. Because what I want to help you with is to save time in the kitchen so that you can keep up with the priorities and goals that you've established for your family, for your health, and for your, co- for your cooking. Okay, so it was all the housekeeping kind of disclaimers, so we're all on the right page. Now let's talk about traditional cooking time savers, and I have four of them for you today, just four. I have more, um, but I'll save those for another day. And what I'd love to hear from you in the comments at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 133 is your traditional cooking time savers. So number one, why do later what you can do now? This is a really hard one for me, actually, because I have to push myself to follow through with it when there isn't a deadline, especially. My best time to implement this tip is in the morning because I'm already in the kitchen preparing breakfast, um, and I have small amounts of time while I'm waiting for this or that. Do, Do you find that? I mean, you're in the kitchen, and you might put water on, to boil for tea, and then so you feed the sourdough starter, you get this out, you transfer this to the fridge. So you have these small bits of time, and so what I do is I do things that need doing, like I switch batches of kombucha, I put the yogurt away, or I start soaking something. And what what happens is, time and time again, is that you've given yourself a little gift when you do this. Because if you fit in something little that you can do now because you have a moment. You don't have to do it now, but you do do it now. Why? 
wait till later when you can do it now, you've given yourself a gift of some extra time in the afternoon. Perhaps it's some extra time in the Bible, some extra time prayer, some extra time snuggling your little one and reading a book. Maybe it's a nap, a dearly needed nap. Maybe it's another couple rows on your knitted dishcloth, but you've given yourself a gift. And personally for me, it feels really good to leave the kitchen in the morning knowing that a bulk of the day's cooking has already been, if not done, but started or well underway. And then I move on to other things and I'm not like, oh, I need to get back in the kitchen and do that. So I love starting the day with that. And like I said, I work well best under deadlines, but when I have open-ended things, it's harder for me uh, to do it, but I've learned that there's a huge reward in this. Like I said, it's like giving yourself a gift, and I love getting this gift. I just have to say I love getting this gift, so I've trained myself uh, to appreciate it. So that was tip number one. Why do later what you can do now? Hi, I'm Morty, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at traditionalcookingschool.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems like eczema and food allergies, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com slash free today. Tip number two, do the hard things first. If you have a task that you're dreading, do it first, get it out of the way. What I've learned is that if I've got to fit in exercise, I have to do it in the morning before everything else, or it tends not to happen. And the same for me goes in the kitchen. What I found um, is that everything else I have to do feels like coasting if I do the hard thing right away. And I do this for traditional cooking school, for the work I do for the blog or the members or the podcast or whatnot. When I'm in the morning, I mean, I spend time in the kitchen, but I also have some productive time in the morning when I'm fresh, when I work on blog or business. And as tempting as it is to do piddly stuff, and, and lots of things are very important, but they could be piddly. And there's a lot of things that are not important that are piddly. I mean, you have to prioritize your own to-do list. But what I do is the, the morning, that most productive fresh time is when I do my biggest project of the day that's going to take me the most time, the most mental energy, whether it's the kitchen or business, I do them first. Um, because then the rest of the day is just like, well, some are better than others, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, when you do your hard thing, you've got this victory. You've got this, um, wow, the day started out great. That thing I was dreading is done. Everything else seems easy and much more enjoyable. There's not really much else to say about that. Tip number two, do the hard things first. Tip number three, think one day ahead. This is so much about traditional cooking. I mean, this, this could be the number one tip for traditional cooking. Because traditional cooking doesn't require more time 
overall than regular healthy cooking. If you're already cooking from scratch, traditional cooking isn't doesn't add to your workload. However, traditional cooking is all about making the foods that you're already eating more nutritious and digestible, and that means starting them earlier and doing some food prep. It doesn't mean you are working on it earlier. It means you're starting it earlier and it works on itself. So if you think one day ahead, then um, you're already spending time preparing the food, but you start your thinking and, and your, you know, your cycle a day ahead, and that's um, it's just really setting yourself up for traditional cooking. It's putting yourself in the frame of mind and what you need to be thinking about and planning about. You're not shifting to more work. You're just shifting your work earlier, and it starts with thinking, thinking one day ahead. And when I do this, is at two times of the day, evening and morning. In the evening, I'm thinking about the meals for the next day, and so then because I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about, well, what needs to be soaked, what dough needs to start souring, what needs to be thawing, what needs to be, like, I need to turn off the dehydrator because this is done. I need to, like, the yogurt's done, I need to move it from the, from the dehydrator to the refrigerator. I just consider all these things that are going in the kitchen, and I try to think, you know, not only what needs to be done right now to keep them in cycle, but what are we fixing the next day that I can start right now? And the same thing in the morning. I get up and I'm thinking about dinner and what I have to get going for dinner. Do you see what I mean? You're just thinking a day ahead or at least 12 hours ahead so that you can, your forward thinking means you're starting things so then when you get there, um, whatever it is has already been soaked or soured or is already chilled in the fridge. It really makes a huge difference when you do um, your planning and prep work ahead of time. Not that you have to write it all out or have an elaborate plan. It's a simple thing. It's every morning and every evening, think about what you need. Like if it's the evening, think about what you need the next morning or the next evening. If it's the morning, think about what you need tonight or the next day. And then work that into your prep work. So that was tip number three. Think one day ahead. Tip number four, our final tip for this on the shorter side podcast. Tip number four is to figure out what kind of menu planner you are and work with it. Do you know that on the internet, there's all kinds of menu plans. At traditional cooking school, we offer one and there's, you know, once a month meal planning. There's batch, um, batch cooking for the freezer for a month or a week. There's, um, you know, just very simple menu plans, very detailed menu plans. Well, what kind of a menu planner are you? Although there's all these intricacies and, you know, could be a million different types, we can probably boil, boil them down to two general types. There's people that plan a menu and shop accordingly, and then there's those that stock their pantry and then shop the pantry for the daily menu. So which kind are you? Now, I do have a previous uh, podcast on four steps to easy menu planning, and that's the kind where you're actually planning a menu and shopping accordingly. Now I'm throwing in another type here. If you know that you want to have certain types of foods on hand all the time so that any day or the day before you can just say, hmm, I feel like spaghetti, and you have all the ingredients for spaghetti, so you shop your pantry for what you've just determined your menu is, which type are you? Both of them are valid. 
So I don't, you know, sometimes we get in our heads that you're not, you're not a good traditional cook or you're not a good cook or you're not a healthy cook or you're not a frugal cook or you're, you know, you're just a failure if you don't actually plan a menu. Well, I beg to differ. I have sort of a menu in my head. I'm not a big menu planner. I've helped a lot of people develop menus because it works for them. I could do it if it, if it would help me. Um, we do a weekly menu plan at Traditional Cooking School. Myself, I don't do it that way. For myself and our family, we have um, we rotate through a certain number of meals, and my daughter and I know them, and we keep our pantry stocked for those meals, and we decide you know, within a couple days of having it, what we're having, and we carry it out based on the activities of the family, who's home to cook, um, certain nutritional needs and seasons. That's what works for us. So I think this is one of those places where you got to see what is your personal strength. It comes into play and you want to work with it because it's going to make you better a better traditional cook to know what kind you are and to work with it, what kind of menu planner you are. I don't want, the, the point here is not that um, learning something new wouldn't help you, but let's say you're just not that type, it doesn't work for you, it's a burden for you. Well, don't lock yourself up into something that where you don't flourish and you end up spinning your wheels or spending more time or it drains you. Let's come up with something where it's working around your strength and it's a kind of plan that works for you. And so you end up saving time and flourishing and enjoying your role. That's what I'm t- talking about. So let me give you uh, just very simplified plans for the two types. So if you're the first kind of planner, that's the kind where you make a menu and then you shop accordingly, you want to follow that. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the format of my weekly menu plans that are released for traditional cooking school premium members. We have a weekly chart for subscribers and they can write down what's on the menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We include spaces to write down any necessary AIM and PM steps and the individual recipes tell you, um, you know, what you have to do the night before, the morning of, etc. Um, if you're the second kind of planner, the one who you know what meals you tend to have and you stock your pantry accordingly, and so then today you can say we're having spaghetti tonight, we're having fried chicken tomorrow night, we're having chicken tacos the next night, and your pantry has all those things because you just keep it stocked. If you're that kind of planner, then you probably already know what you like to keep in your pantry, so you, you do, and um, you just keep that up. And I do think, as I said at the beginning, there are people in between. And I was just telling you myself, I'm the type that stocks the pantry and we plan just, you know, within days of. But if we're having company or it's an especially busy time or somebody's going out of town or I'm going out of town, then I become the first kind of menu planner because then that serves me to do a more effective service to my family when there's something, you know, more set in stone that we can carry out that we there's I mean you can be flexible but that is less flexible that's more like I know for the next two weeks exactly what's going to be and this is what we have to do in order to actually have food during this time that nourishes us so that was tip number four that's to figure out what kind of menu planner you are and work with it and I want to end that just going circling back to the beginning of what I said that you know, there's the two kinds of menu planner, menu planners, and just general. Generally, there's two. And the point here 
is not that one is better than the other. The point here is knowing you and your strengths and what your family needs and setting up a way to get meals on the table that um, works with your strengths and where you flourish and you enjoy your work. So some people are going to feel so enslaved by a detailed menu plan because they just want more creativity and flexibility. Then there's people who, if they don't know what they're fixing for the next week out, they are just totally stressed, and that's a huge burden. Which one are you? And start acting to um, help yourself, relieve that burden of stress, whichever side of that it is. Um, you're going to save time and mental angst and not being happy in your role. You're going to save all that by recognizing uh how you work best and um, creating a system or following a system around that. So a quick recap here. The point was to help you do traditional cooking in your kitchen and to save you time and help you be more efficient. That's why this podcast is called Traditional Cooking Time-Saving Tips. So number one was why do later what you can do now. Number two was do the hard things first. Number three was think one day ahead and number four was figure out what kind of menu planner you are and work with it. As I said, I will have more tips coming for you in future episodes. Right now, though, those were four, and you will see the notes for these at the podcast uh, show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 133. Come on by and not only check out... Um, you know, kind of the transcript of what I said here, but go to the comments and share your traditional food time-saving tips. As I said, I'm planning uh, to share more of my tips and I'd love to share yours too. So add them to the comments and if they're really good, I'll put them in the queue and I'll credit you uh, when I share them with the Know Your Food with Wardy listeners. Thanks so much for joining me. God bless you. I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again very soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then, without a space, type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air, so go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that other people will find this podcast. Thank you so much.